Hi, this is Mo. And this is Sarah, and you're listening to the podcast Bird Shit. We started this podcast to share our love of birding with other enthusiastic birders in the world. Welcome back to Bird Shit Podcast, everybody. We're your hosts, Mo and Sarah, and we're here to talk about some birds. I don't know if that's what you knew you were getting into when you started listening today, but that's what we're going to do. (laughs) And not just any birds, some super generic birds. This is the most basic bird episode that you will ever hear, but it's like the best of the basics. It's like the PSL of fall. This is your PSL bird episode. (laughs) Get your basic bird going. So we thought we would bring you some uncommon facts about common birds, and since it turns out there are actually a lot of common birds, we're probably going to do this as like a series over the next, I don't know. Six years. And today's episode, we're going to bring you uncommon facts about common songbirds. So these are all, all these birds that you hear today are in the passerine series. Before we get started with that though, Sarah, I wanted to tell you about some birds of prey that I've seen lately because I know they're your thing. Do tell. So I have probably seen like six bald eagles in the last week. It's insane. Damn. One of them, Sam and I woke up super early and we went on this hike and we like climbed this I don't know. It's it's technically a mountain, but it's more like we climb this rocky hill and we get to the top and we're overlooking like this beautiful vista. And we'd literally been there for like, I don't know, all of 20 seconds when all of a sudden to the right, this bald eagle, I felt like I could have touched it. It was so close. It was just like doing that thing where it like kind of soars right along like the cliff line. And it was just like hovering And it couldn't have been more than like 15 or 20 feet away from me. And I was in such a state of shock. I was like, bald eagle, bald eagle, bald eagle, bald eagle. I couldn't even say anything else to like get Sam's attention. I was just like pointing. I was like, bald eagle, bald eagle, bald eagle. And then we just like stood there with like our mouths dropped and just like watched it. That's insane. It was so insane. And then like later on that hike, we saw two bald eagles that were like fighting for the same territory. And then a few days after that, I saw one like on my morning bird walk being chased by a peregrine falcon. And I was like, what is it with all these bald eagles? I don't know. It's crazy. Damn. That's so cool. That's the latest in my birding world. That is quite exciting. I um, just see a bunch of turkey vultures as my birds of prey right now. Haven't seen too much action in my neighborhood. Just mostly the common birds that we're going to talk about right now. Well, should we get into that or should we do... Birds in the news! Birds in the news! Birds, 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 birds birds in in the the news! I think we should do that since we both were so excited to sing about it. (laughs) We haven't sung that song in a minute. I know, dude. I would like to start with an article, and it it is about zebra finches. Zebra finches are small social birds native to Central America, and they're very popular as pets. Just as infants, humans learn languages by imitating what they hear, zebra finches listen to their fathers, sing, and then practice the tunes. However, scientists have taught these little birds to memorize a tune without ever learning it. And they do so by implanting memories of the songs in the birds' brains. This strange experiment was designed to discover the brain pathways that encode note duration in birds, ultimately drawing a point to parallels with how humans learn to speak. So neuroscientists at the University of Texas Southwestern, O'Donnell Bryan Institute, said in the statement, This is the first time we've confirmed brain regions that encode behavioral goal memories. 
These findings enable us to implant these memories into a bird and guide the learning of their song. So Roberts and his colleagues used optogenics to modify the finch's neurons without ever exposing them to singing. This technique involves using light to control the behavior of photosensitive proteins in the neurons, or brain cells, and essentially allow researchers to control when their neuron goes off. Using this tool, the researchers were able to alter brain activity in the sensory motor area known as the NIF, which sends information to a specialized songbird brain region called the HVC. In this area, the HVC is involved in learning and reproducing songs. So essentially by pulsing light in a rhythm, the researchers encoded memories into the finch's brain uh, that resembled bird notes, and they would match the duration of the light pulses. So it was kind of like a father figure. It was kind of like them listening to the father, but there was no auditory involvement. I think what it actually is, and maybe I just don't understand Christopher Nolan that well, but this is Inception, right? I mean, that's basically what this is. Oh, this is exactly what it is. You know, they just went into their brains and implanted a memory and then left. It yeah. was like a dream within a dream. They just drove the car off the bridge and woke everybody back up. And then they're like, boom, you learned some songs you didn't know before. Yep, exactly. But this is important because it's designed to unravel the circuits of the brain that make language learning possible. And I think this can ultimately lead to other forms of understanding how language works in humans, as well as other species. It's super insightful neurodevelopmental information and can also, you know, reflect on uh, language disorders in humans. Like, for instance, when people develop language disabilities where they can only say certain words or they aren't able to verbally formalize words. So these little zebra finches are ultimately providing us with a ton of information and also like strangely learning new songs and not even realizing it. This is an inception of birds language. It is really cool. Like you don't often, I, I don't know, I guess sometimes for me when I look at animal experiments, I have a hard time drawing like, how is this really going to help humans? Like basically all you did was prove that rats get fatter or rats get skinnier or that a chimp can wear a certain lipstick there's that <laughs> yeah so but this this study I look at and I'm like oh I understand how this benefits society and the world and why this is cool and awesome I think that's something that we could talk about in a whole episode like the morality of animal research and it's it's something I really struggle with I think we assign moral value to certain animals of higher intelligence to say that they're less, it's less justified to do research on them. Yeah. Yep. You know, like yep. when you see a dog or a chimp, but when you think of a bird, I don't think you instantly think like, oh, how terrible. Yeah. And birds are super smart. I know. They don't underestimate the birds. I know. So this is, this is one where I was like, oh, that's super interesting and does demonstrate future potential value. But at the same time, I'm like, ooh, this is no fun for those birds basically having... I mean, you don't... Your brain doesn't feel anything, but... Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know that it's not fun for the birds. Being in that setting, though, I bet, is probably not fun. Yeah, I, I guess that's also hard. I mean, domestic birds, right? Like, I don't know if I want to get into that, but it's it's yeah. a weird thing, too. But it's not like we, like, sent the birds into space like we did with those poor animals before we went up there. Oh, yeah. Like, here you go. Be all alone in this little capsule. Yeah, maybe you'll die. We don't know. Your blood vessels might explode. Have fun. All for nothing. All to go to space. 
and then for us to get rid of our NASA program, essentially. Sorry, guys, it's going to be a dark one today. <laughs> Mo and Sarah both have had rough days, so we're venting it on the birds. All right, let's talk about a cool happy bird story, maybe. Okay. Yeah? Sure. Are we up for that? Yeah, I think so. I think you I sure? can handle it. Yeah? You want to wipe that dark makeup off your face? No, no, God, no. This is my new look. I can still look sad on the outside, but have hope on the inside. That's right. So the happy bird story that we have is about the phenopepla. This is a type of flycatcher that's found in the southwest U.S. It's believed to be only one of three birds that exhibits this really unique breeding habit. So most birds, as we know, will migrate in the wintertime to a nice sunny area and then spend the summertime in an area that's usually rich in resources like food or protection or, or territory for raising their young. And every bird we know does this, right? Like winter somewhere and breed somewhere else just or even just stay in the same spot. But this flycatcher called the Phenopepla is believed to migrate, but it breeds in both areas. Basically what it does is it will nest in one area and then it will migrate to a new area and then nest again in that region. It's believed to be only one of three birds that does this. Researchers at Princeton University wanted to understand if these birds were actually breeding in two different areas or if they were actually two different populations of the bird because they're seen in both desert areas and woodland habitats in the southwestern U.S. What they did was they banded a bunch of birds and they set them off and then the next year those birds came back and it looks like they were banded in both areas and they actually nested in both both areas and bred in both areas. So they said it was pretty cool because they saw the GPS and so they saw that they were moving, but to actually see the birds come back to the same tagging site a year later was pretty sweet because it was like, that's what it is. Like we now know that they are actually moving and breeding in two different areas rather than just doing the normal bird migration and only nesting in one of those areas. That's insane though, because that's a lot of resource for a bird to use. So it's got to basically change its diet. Yeah, it has to change its diet. It's got to adjust to new climate conditions. Basically, it has to like adjust to a new habitat, different predators. It's basically living a dual life. Like it's probably got mistresses in both areas. It's got two separate families that don't know about each other. This is the definition of adultery right here. Like if in case you were wondering, like, yeah, that's basically what this bird is doing. And you know what? Like you've got your like, You've got your like wild woodsy girl up in the north, but then you've got your like desert spirit woman in the south. So one thing that's really interesting that comes out of this is that they believe that this bird is probably better adapted to deal with climate change than a lot of other birds because it's already showing that it can breed and be successful in two completely different habitats. It's not reliant upon certain kinds of conditions for breeding or anything like that. Like it's really able to adapt completely to a new atmosphere and environment. I wonder and... We will have to do more research on this and we'll update later on the pod. Just like what their breeding success is and like Mm. population wise, what their numbers are. Like, are they breeding in both areas because they have such low success or like their young don't really make it? Oh, speaking of after this, we need to talk about predators again. I have a crazy story to tell you. Girl, just get into it. What happened? Okay, but no, we got it. Are you done with bird, this birds in the news thing? Yes, this is the end of my news story. Okay, I thought it was really good. I thought it was really interesting. I think we should cover them more in the news next yeah. time. He's also a cute little bird. He's got a cool little mohawk. 
I know, he's adorable. He looks like a little punk uh, cardinal because he's all black. He's our emo cardinal for our depressing episode today. Ooh, yeah. Hey, we're similar. Mascot. Hey, hey guy. Let's go hang out under the bleachers and smoke cigs. <laughs> Before you go hang out with your cheerleader girlfriend uh, in yeah. the Southwest. Uh, remind me, when you were out in like one of your first adventures in Maine, did you see a sea eagle? No, I saw that in Norway. Okay. Okay. So yes. So you saw a sea eagle in Norway. Yes. So I was watching a show about animals, of course, and they were doing a story about sea eagles. This is why I thought of this. So sea eagles always give birth to two eggs. So two chicks. Always. And always one of them will die. One of them always kills the other one and the parent never interferes. That's exactly like the shoebill stork. Isn't that crazy, though? Yes. They, they always lay two two chicks, if I'm if this is the same for the sea eagles as it is for the shoebill storks, because I saw the shoebill storks in BBC, I think it was in Our Planet or something, uh, mm-hmm. on Netflix, and they showed, like, oh, look at that cute little shoebill stork. Like, it's so cute. And then they showed another one, and they showed the first young, like, beating up the second young, and it, they were basically like, yeah, they always lay two eggs because they want to be able to, to reproduce, but only one of them ever makes it because the older baby basically kills the younger one if it even makes it that long. And the parents are like, whatever, I've only got time to deal with one of you kids. Like, I understand evolutionary, to some degree, like, why you would always have two just in case one, like, dies naturally, doesn't hatch. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, why is the mom programmed to say, okay, no, I only want one of you? I think it's just energy. I think it's just like how much energy goes into raising their young that they're basically like, I, as a parent or I as an adult will suffer and not eat or not thrive. But you thrive. Would think then resource wise, if like their body recognized that they would start only giving birth to one egg because like that takes a lot of energy and resource yeah. to, to hatch two eggs. I don't know, man. It's a weird thing. Man. Okay, guys, we brought up a lot of interesting questions that if you can answer for us, please do. Otherwise, it gives us more shit to talk about. We got more questions than answers today. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Birdship Podcast, where we don't know, but we love to ask. <laughs> we don't know, but we'll talk about it. <laughs> Moral of our podcast. Well, let's talk about something that we do know something yeah. about, which are some common birds that people see all the time. And we're here to tell you some cool, fun, interesting Happy hour, share with your friends, facts about these birds. And just kind of get you more excited about them. Yeah, like if you're going to see a bird all the time, you might as well know something cool about it. Mm-hmm. So Mo, who are, who are we starting with? We're going to start with the Northern Cardinal. Bright red birds, you'll see them around. They look super cool. They're also the mascots of like a thousand different sporting teams. But we're here to talk about the real birds, the OG Northern Cardinals, which are the ones in real life, not the ones you'll see polluting the St. Louis baseball fields. (laughs) Northern Cardinals are super hungry birds, but they really, really love having private meals. Typically, they are the first species to visit feeders in the morning and the last to visit at night. Ornithologists think that this is because there is less competition with other birds at dusk and dawn, which makes it easier for the Cardinals to get their chow on. Aw, they want to eat alone at the lunch table. They do. They don't, they don't want to make friends. Aww. But one thing that's interesting is that 
while the cardinal is typically a really territorial bird and you'll only see like one or maybe two out at a time in the summer, the cardinals do flock together in the winter months. They act as a collective group which allows them to seek out food more effectively than going at it alone or just with a mate. If you see a group of cardinals, you can call them a college, radiance, deck, or vatican of cardinals. I know which one I'm going with. I know, right? And the last one, Vatican of Cardinals, is super cool. And it's also very suiting because cardinals were given their name originally because their red feathers seem to mimic the bright red vestments of the cardinals in the Catholic Church. I did not know that. Yeah, the cardinals, the birds are actually named from cardinals in the church. Well, then you gotta definitely call them a Vatican. Right? Thanks a lot, Europeans. You named him back when that was still a popular thing to do, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Do you hear that? Religion's out. You're basically like, well, when religion was still popular, it was uh, okay to name birds after things that involved religion. Nowadays. (laughs) That was good. The Latter-day Tweets. (laughs) (laughs) The Latter-day Tits. Ah, the latter day tits. Uh, another cool thing about cardinals is that their famous fashion is actually fueled by their food. Say that four times fast. Uh, like flamingos, the bright red coloration of the cardinal's feathers comes from the food that they eat. Grapes, dogwood, and berries contain carotenoids that enter the bird's bloodstream, travel into their feather follicles, and crystallize, which gives the bird its bright red feathers. I did not know that they got their colors like that. I didn't either. Which is why you see some that looks. I did not. That was Siri trying to get involved in our bird talk. Sorry. (laughs) Now you're playing. Siri. And introducing Uh, our special guest, Siri. Yeah, she was like, I don't know what you mean by I did not know that birds of that color. (laughs) And I was like, oh God. Um, I didn't know that. That's super interesting. Yeah, I did not know that either. And I. Where are they eating grapes, though? I don't know. Vineyards? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Where grapes grow? Wild grapes. Wild grapes. Yeah. And berries is like generic enough. Yeah, berries. I believe that. Yeah, that's super cool. Way to go, Cardinal. I'm going to go into another bird that's known for being red. The American Robin. In Michigan, the American Robin, I feel like, is a very special bird because for a lot of us, it signals spring. It's also your state bird. Yeah, also our state bird. Uh, That's more important, but I guess I didn't want to leave that out. (laughs) Selective knowledge. Selective knowledge. But no, like when I see a robin, I'm like, oh, spring is here because they always come back in the spring. So while that is an interesting fact, um, it's also good to know that even though they aren't owls, male robins are typically the last birds singing at night before the sun sets for the day. So they're not nocturnal like owls, but if you hear some of that like late night song, it's probably a robin here in Michigan. It sounds very chirpy. So they're a very chirpy bird. Chirp, chirp. Chirp, chirp. So yeah, if you hear that at night, it is most likely the American robin. And then moving into food, like you talked about with cardinal, while typically seen running around on the ground with their little stubby legs, Searching for worms, uh, 60% of their diet actually consists of fruits and berries. And they tend to have specific meals, too, where they favor worms and other soft body invertebrates, such as grubs, in the morning. 
and eating sweeter things like berries in the evening. It's good to know that in the evening, when they're eating these berries, if they eat a ton of honeysuckle berries exclusively, they can get drunk and wobber around when they walk, kind of like tequila or six glasses of wine. So the robin is just like you and me after a really long, stressful day. Robins, they're just like us. They're just like us. They're like a little buzz. Yeah, heck yeah. And I think we should say we also feel for the mama robins. So a female robin can produce three, yes, that's right, three successful broods in a single year. That is a lot of babies and eggs. It's a lot of babies. That's a lot of time, like, sitting with your butt on some eggs. Yes. However, only 40% of nests successfully produce young, and out of that, only 25% of those fledglings generally survive until November. So after that, about half of the robins alive in any year will make it until the next year. This means that an entire population turns over on average every six years. That's so crazy to me. Like, I feel like I underestimate how long the human lifespan is sometimes when I hear stuff like that. Oh my god, to think that in six years you have a whole new population. Yeah, yeah. Which means that they must actually be pretty genetically adept. And like changing and and so that's kind of maybe a good thing for them. I I know that sounds shitty to say, but. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty prolific birds. So yeah, that makes sense. But it's crazy how much they have to reproduce in order to end up with that kind of an outcome. I know. So I wonder, because they're so, like, is it the migration? Is it the urban, like, lifestyle of the bird? I don't know. It's really interesting, though. Robins. Now you know about robins. All those little birds you see running around in the springtime. That do look like little pregnant women with very skinny legs. Just they like, really do. And you know what? Now that I know they produce three birds a year, they're probably all pregnant. Yeah, they're probably <laughs> pregnant all the time, which is <laughs> why. Always ready to pop out kids. Going from one to the next. Speaking of getting pregnant, let's talk about the red-winged blackbird because the red-winged blackbird is one swinging songbird. Red-winged blackbirds are known for being polygamous. So one male will mate and share territory with more than one female. This results in really loose colonies where a male can attract up to 15 females to nest within its territory. I know 15 is a lot. Ooh, that's a lot. That's a lot of ladies to keep track of. But the good news is the polygamy really goes both ways. So oftentimes the females are mating with males outside of the territory holder And this makes it almost impossible to ID the real baby daddy of a given brood. That would be a good research project to see, like, if you could identify the real baby daddy. Oh, my God. That would be like that science experiment that April did that found out that Luke was her father in Gilmore Girls. Don't know what that science experiment was, but it sounds pretty illegal. Yeah, no, she didn't know who her dad was, and so she took some ID samples from three men who she thought her mom had slept with back in the day and found out that Luke Danes was her father. It's, I mean, the science is really sketchy, but basically it ended up breaking up Luke and Lorelai, so I could go on about that for a very long time. Let's, let's not. Let's stop it right there and talk about how this teenager had access to a full DNA lab, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, I was like her uncle. You know, there's some written in backstory. It's the CW. Oh, yeah, What's the of WB? I can't remember who did it. I have no idea. Whatever. 90s TV. Good for her and these red-winged blackbirds. So let's go back to the blackbirds because it's far more interesting than the April storyline. That whole thing could have been cut in my opinion. But anyway, <laughs> for these birds, the red-winged blackbirds' appearances are more about nurture than nature. 
So there are different populations of red-winged blackbirds that vary in their sizes and proportions. According to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, nestlings that were moved to new populations grew up to resemble their foster parents, not their birth parents. In other words, much of the differences seen between the populations is the result of different environments instead of different genetics. When I learned this, my mind blew up a little bit because that is so unlike anything that I would possibly expect to see from an outcome of an experiment. This is like core foundation for the nature versus nurture. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're a red-winged blackbird, but still. That's crazy. Yeah. And the difference is, I guess, you know, if you look at them, they they seem insignificant maybe across all those populations, but they are really distinct at the same time. Like they're very cut and dry, like this, like with the population differences, even though to a normal observer, they'd be like, oh yeah, red-winged blackbird. I do think it's crazy that even these minute differences are drawn out just from the environment that the birds grow up in and not necessarily the genetics that they have. Huh, now I'm going to pay more attention to like variations in red-winged blackbirds. Well, it's hard to pay attention when they're dive-bombing you. Yeah, I was going to say they do get close, but not in a nice way. (laughs) Red-winged blackbirds, don't fear them. I mean, you you probably should fear them, but at least admire them in their... Yeah, they have some cool, interesting stuff. Like, appreciate them. So I'm going to talk about the common grackle. I love this bird. You do? I, I, I don't know. I kind of do. Okay. I mean, I understand that they're an invasive species. It's not their fault. But I don't know. I That's kinda, true. I kind of like this bird. I like that they're shiny. Yeah. Like, I like seeing them. They're shiny. I always can spot them. They're really cool. They're smart. They're very smart. So, um... <laughs> these birds as we talked about are very shiny they looked out little stretched out blackbirds and they will do anything to eat they take over feeders with their aggressive behaviors they follow plows through farm fields to catch bugs that fly in the air they will even pick leeches off of a turtle's legs and steal worms from feeding robins like they are fucking hungry Dude, maybe that's why the robins have a hard time reducing birds because they keep getting their food stolen when they're trying to eat. Oh my gosh, they're crazy. They even are honing in on squirrels um, because they have a hard keel on the inside of their upper mandible for sawing open acorns. So typically a grackle will score the outside of a narrow end and then bite into the acorn and eat the inside. Which like, if I was a squirrel and I saw them doing this, I'd be like, what the fuck, man? You already get worms and shit. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you definitely eat garbage. Like, why are you eating my acorns? I need that for next year when I forget where I put it. Yeah, like, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, like, what kind of bird has a tooth like that? I know. So, I mean, and obviously they are just voracious eaters. And the fact that they've, like, adapted to even include acorns is kind of insane. Speaking of, like, things you would typically think of as their food, the grackle is one of 200 or so birds that it enjoys what we would like to call a nice ant spa treatment. So known as anting, common grackles will allow ants to crawl all over their bodies. The ants secrete formic acid, which is thought to kill parasites living on the bird's skin. In addition to ants, grackles have been seen using walnut juice, mothballs, lemons, and limes in similar ways to potentially kill parasites with acidic juices. That's kind of crazy that they would use lemons and limes, and also the symbiotic relationship is kind of insane. 
Like, I don't know what the ants get out of it, except for maybe, like, getting to eat stuff or a free ride. Yeah, I don't know either. And also, it makes me realize I don't go to the spa enough if birds are just commonly, like, finding all these nice things to do to their skin. I'm like, maybe I should start a skincare routine. Dude, maybe. I'm going to start packaging ants and be like, let these ants run all over your body. (laughs) You remember ant farms? Well, now bring the farm to you. And then it's just people dumping ant farms all over their naked bodies in videos. Body farms. Body farms. <laughs> That's a different thing. That's a different thing. That's, That's a different thing. Scary. Yeah, it is. Okay, let's actually talk about what do you think the oldest recorded common grackle was? Let's change the subject. Yeah, let's change it real fast. Um, I'm going to tell you. Oh, good. It was 23, which is insanely old for a wild animal, especially a bird. Like, birds live a long time, but generally in the wild, birds don't live very long as we were shown by the robin it was 23 years old and he met his match in minnesota when he was killed by a raptor bonkers man 23 i can't imagine that's crazy you know what's great though is he still had one more chance to sing 22 by taylor swift before he went out oh my god i i can't even that's probably what he was singing to himself when that raptor killed him probably or he was like fuck i'm old (laughs) I can't fly anymore. Yeah. Maybe the raptor, he was like, raptor, help me. Put me out of my misery. Seems That seems more likely. No, but I think 23 is insanely old for a wild grackle. Oh, yeah. That's really nuts. Next up and last up, we have the house finch. These birds have long, delightful songs, and the males are dusted with little red heads and chests. And this may be why they are often more appealing to people than other invasive birds like the European starlings or the house sparrows. Boo. Boo. Invasive species. I mean, it was in North America, but it was actually native to only the western U.S. and Mexico. The house finches found their way to Long Island, New York in the 1940s when someone tried to sell them as caged birds called Hollywood finches. And when sales didn't go too well, they were released and they thrived. They loved it out there. And in the next 50 years, the house finch spread like crazy in the eastern U.S. and Canada, making them common in most North American backyards today. Remember what I said about how it wasn't the invasive species fault? Yeah. Case in point here, someone was trying to make money. It's capitalism. Yep. It it was really just bad marketing. Really. If that person knew how to market those birds better, we probably wouldn't have house finches. It's probably true. That's like I saw a goldfish in a wild pond recently and lost my damn mind. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was super pissed. I was Mm. crazy pissed. And then I think a heron ate it. So I was like, ooh, yeah. (laughs) It's like, all right, that worked out just fine. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, it was probably super easy for that heron to find a goldfish. I mean, those things are bright orange. I know. Also, like, probably wasn't as prepared as the other fish. And it's nice to know that, like, as disliked as some of these invasive species were at least the house finch has like a famous background where it was once called the hollywood finch that's true it had its 15 minutes of fame back in the 1940s okay since the house finch was released in urban areas in the east a lot of the east coast birds are quite comfortable with human-made habitats which is how they got their name house finch they'll nest in buildings small conifers urban centers or even barns in more rural areas but in the native western range, they live in more natural habitats like streamsides, desert grasslands, and open coniferous forests that are above 6,000 feet. Wow. So it's really weird that they sort of have their natural native habitats in the west, but they have these more domestic, human-centered habitats in the east. Interesting. Who knew? And lastly, 
A group of house finches is called a development of finches, which are really suiting considering that they prefer all those suburban habitats in the East Coast. And that's all we're doing is developing condos. That's right. The condo finch. Developments for developments of finches. They're soon going to be called just like townhome finches, like <laughs> penthouse finches. They're going to like break off. Living ass- assisted living finches. <laughs> true though that's gonna be for that 23 year old grackle man i was just gonna say that that 23 year old grackle would be in that development of finches for sure oh man so that was some uncommon facts about some very common birds that you know we hope that it makes you a little more excited when you see them in your neighborhood or if you are awkwardly hanging out with people like mo says at a happy hour you don't know what to talk about you know say hey Did you know? And then list one of these amazing facts. They're so amazing, these facts. That they are. Or talk about how April broke up Luke and Lorelai and Gilmore's girls because that's also worth noting. Yeah, even if you don't watch Gilmore Girls, you can just say that fact and someone will latch onto it and talk about it for 20 minutes. That person's probably me. Exactly. Until next time, make sure to find us on Instagram at Birdship Podcast, where you can follow along on our latest antics and our Instagram stories or, you know, look at cool pictures that we repost of other people's birds because we don't know how to take pictures. Also, I would like to talk about our Instagram for a moment. So there was recently a poll where we polled on whose workspace was better. And I would like to just state the injustice that I've been dealt here. Um, Moe's one. But it was literally an entire picture of her workspace with a calendar, her chair, her seat. Mine was literally a picture of the little collage on the wall. So I am going to clean my desk and come back with a vengeance and we will have a new poll because my desk looks super freaking cute. All right. Well, I'm going to upbird my desk at the same time and we can do this again. It's yours is going to be so ostentatious. Wow. Look at you. Five dollar word right there. But it's true. My vocab has been taking a deep dive because all I've been doing is working and have not been reading or doing anything that improves your vocab. So I was proud of And you're probably talking to people like me only about birds. So. Yeah, and I'm like, did you see that common grackle? It is cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is shiny. One time, one lived to be 23 years old. <laughs> is that even a fact? That's, I don't know. Maybe it's a, it yeah. seems like a cool fact. It is a cool fact because when you're like, people are always impressed when things are super old. Like whenever I'm like, yeah, I had a cat that was 21. People are like, no way. That's so old. Yeah. But what if people are like, did you know George Clooney is like only his 50s? People are like, wow, he looks so old. Like, you know, there's always the flip side of being old. Yeah. I don't think birds are going to care about that. You don't think the birds are like, "Mm, damn, that grackle is old. No, I think they're more like, get the fuck away from my food. That net. You can also send us an email at HelloBirdShit, and we would love to hear from you because no one sends us any emails, but we like to read them. Okay, that was a little desperate, but... Yep, um, that's me. That's us. So keep your eyes to the skies. <laughs>